All right, welcome to the Texas Hemp Show. This is Russell with the Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine. We are glad to be back in the saddle here after our break from Thanksgiving. This is podcast number 63 that we're doing this week on the Texas Hemp Show. So glad to be back in the saddle. We were off for Thanksgiving. Hope everybody had a, a nice break there with their families for Thanksgiving. Uh, Jesse Williams joining me this week as well on the program. Good to see you, Jesse. How was your Thanksgiving? I had a great Thanksgiving. We're going to have a great uh, talk with our guest today. Is uh, Joining us here shortly on the program is Dan Herr. Uh, Dan is uh, uh, an industrial hip developer who works on the team with the uh, scientists studying hemp and biomass sciences. Also, he's the director out there in California for the California-based Jack Hare Foundation um, and he works to advance the hemp industry by carrying out the great work of his late father, uh, legendary hemp advocate Jack Hare, and author, of course, of the landmark book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. So Texas Hemp Reporter and the Texas Hemp Show, uh, welcome in Dan Hare with us here on podcast number 63 this week here. Uh, welcome to the show, Dan. How are you? Uh, I'm well, thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for, for uh, coming on the program. We, we've had a number of my writers and uh, just advertisers and folks in the space here in Texas have, have mentioned you over the last maybe, gosh, 12 months or so to get you on the program. And so. Oh, well, again, thank you for the invitation. Uh, I'm, I'm happy uh, to, to, to be here today and, uh, and and to really expand on the understanding of uh, where all of this started from and uh, where we have the hopes of going. Yeah, it's really an exciting time. And, you know, things kind of are, are on the cannabis side of things. We'll talk about Texas uh, a little later in the show and where we are with our medicine and our laws. And, and, and Texas is a little slower than some of the other states <laughs> when it comes to that. As you, as you're probably Maybe aware. a wee bit. <laughs> just a wee bit slow, but um, let's just backtrack a little and just talk about the work your your dad did, and 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 we'll we'll bring us up to the speed here and what you guys have been doing in recent years yourself, um, uh, continuing his legacy. I understand though, your dad was a veteran in the military, and as a young man, Jack Hare was not a fan of cannabis, was he? Uh, no, he he had <laughs> believed everything that he had ever. Uh, learned or heard uh, either in school or from the government or from the newspapers, you know, from the 40s and into the 50s that, uh, you know, that cannabis was the, the devil's weed and uh, <laughs> everything that it was uh, purported to be that it was it was gospel for him because the government said so. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until after he had served in Korea and came home, married my mother, had had myself and my two brothers. Um, and after their, uh, the relationship ended uh, in, in the mid sixties that at the end of the 1960s, he, um, he met a woman that he wanted to date and uh, she wouldn't, uh, she wouldn't engage with him uh, in any meaningful way because he was too square. And, you know, after months of, of, you know, uh, asking her to go out. She said, Jack, if you want to spend some time with me, you, you know, you're going to have to smoke some, some pot with me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that one evening, uh, changed him from, uh, an anti, anti, you know, drug, anti marijuana, anti hippie, anti counterculturist to, um, a person who was very inquisitive and had a new understanding from a personal standpoint. And uh, literally when they said, when they say that a, a leopard can't change the spots, um, my father overnight uh, changed those spots. And, and subsequently uh, in, in the four the next 40 years uh, helped to change the narrative and the course of the world with regards to its understanding of cannabis and hemp. And uh, that it became uh, a, a real message and a real movement that, that allowed people uh, through his passion and through his education and through his book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, um, that was written in 1985, really helped people to find their voice and to, to be able to stand up in their communities, even like communities like Texas that are moving a little slow, but allowed people 
the ability to actually be able to speak about cannabis in a way that couldn't be refuted, that couldn't be contested because it was all based in fact. And a lot of that fact was information that came through our government uh, prior to prohibition, which after prohibition, the dynamic and the, and the narrative of cannabis and hemp changed completely. And he was so upset that he felt betrayed by this country that he spent the last, you know, 40 years of his life uh, fighting every single day for the ending of prohibition, uh, the, 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 the release of all cannabis prisoners and the legalization of, of uh, marijuana and hemp. You know, uh, Dan did the and and what year did he meet the girlfriend? Because that was it was part of that culture at that time, and and I know that um, you know Vietnam was going on. There was uh, uh, that peace and freedom and all of that was that was all part of the culture that that got him into trying cannabis. Um, so I'm sure it was all a, right in the in the height of that culture. Nine is uh, when he discovered it, and at the age of ten in 1972. Um, through the things that started happening in and around uh, his house when we would visit him, uh, my brothers and I to start started to discover cannabis. Uh, but for us, it wasn't really like oh, there was you know there was pot laying on the on the table. It was really that my father had um, my my father really. Uh, started writing about cannabis and because he was so uh, interested in, in all of this nuance and all these new things that he was finding out. And, and he's always been a writer. So he wrote a book called Grass in 1972, was released in 1973. And it was it was this book that talked about, you know, what cannabis was in a sense of how, how your high should be if it was good weed or bad weed and, and what, what that high would be and how much you should pay for it. And it sort of became uh, this, this cult classic, uh, even for then it became an underground uh, you know uh, it became an under an, an underground success. And people thought that my father after his first book was already an authority of, on cannabis and but the the book was done in sort of a furry freak brothers cartoonish yeah. uh, illustration and so my discovery of cannabis was using that book as a coloring book and so as i was coloring the book with my with my my colored markers yeah. uh, I, I was reading about cannabis in in the most kind of comical way and uh, it wasn't until i became a teenager that i really started uh, experimenting with cannabis and and really starting to understand the the depths of my father's uh, knowledge and interest and dedication to the ending of prohibition. Dan, Dan the 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 part that w the the co-author of Grass was uh, uh, one of his buddies uh, that had the smoke shop uh, was well Adler. What was his name? Well, well, no. The, the at the time the the person who uh, I would say co-authored the book. His name was uh, Al Emanuel, um, but it was it was his friendship with the head shop owner in Van Nuys, California. His name was uh, Ed Adair, uh, lovingly referred to as Captain Ed. That's right. Um, that yeah. my my father met Ed uh, as he was coming into his store and selling his book. And uh, when when my dad walked into the store uh, wearing his polyester jacket and his, you know, John Travolta size, uh, you know, uh, you know, collar on his shirts uh, that Ed looked at him, you know, and Ed was a stone cold hippie, long beard, long hair, you know, uh, you know, had, had the, you know, the, the, the black light poster room in, in the in the head shop. And saw my father as this yuppie looking square. And it's like, you're really the guy who wrote this book? And it was that sort of yin and yang of who they were that really drew them to one another. And uh, my father's uh, burgeoning knowledge of cannabis um, really struck uh, Ed in a way that uh, was really remarkable. And they were... Uh, from that moment, they were uh, inseparable friends and great supporters of one another. And uh, they, they spent the rest of their lives um, 
every single day until each one of their deaths fighting for the freedom of this plant and the people who love it. And, uh, you know, it was, it was one of those, those, those friendships and relationships that transcended what somebody was worth to one another, uh, from a financial standpoint, because it, you know, back in the days of fighting for cannabis, it wasn't about, you know, the, the commercialized cannabis that we see today, it was really about just the freedom of it and the, and, and hoping to eliminate the fear of going to prison for a plant that does no harm and all good. And, uh, you know, and really changing that narrative and, and their friendship was just uh, a testament to, to what the love of another human being and, and how important they could be in your life is. Dan, this is Jesse Williams of the Texas Cannabis Collective. Wanted to ask if it was true that Jack had a vision in 74 that the people of this planet could simplify our Earth's problems, environmental issues with hemp. Well, I'm not exactly sure on what year that that happened. Um, But there was uh, a moment in time that as he started looking at what prohibition was and all of the products that were no longer uh, uh, able to be made from hemp, uh, that were being made by uh, toxic, not, non-renewable, uh, poisonous practices within the manufacturing of everything from plastics to clothes, that he realized that all of these same things could be made with hemp and the byproducts of hemp, uh, non-toxic and biodegradable and renewable and, and, and be, be done in a way that wasn't harmful to our environment. And that if you, if you look at if growing it out and using it to its full utility at scale, that the narrative of the, this climate crisis that we have today uh, and the future of the world literally um, could be uh, greatly altered uh, by embracing this plant. Yes. It's the Texas Hemp Show, and our guest is Dan Hare, uh, uh, son of uh, the legendary activist Jack Hare. Um, it wasn't until, I guess, about July of 83, I believe, Dan, that that uh, Jack was arrested on some really erroneous charges, and, and he fought this in the court system, and ultimately they they gave him a jail sentence. And this Prison this, sentence. Yeah, jail yeah. was light. <laughs> they sent him to federal prison for registering voters to vote after dark <laughs> that is ridiculous he fought this all the way and it was just kept getting denied and they they, they really seemed like they were trying to ostracize him uh and in every step that he took to, to try to fight that case but it was really ultimately his his time in prison i believe that in 83 when he went to jail that that really got the ball turning in his mind to get this this book going is that fair to say no it's it's exactly uh what had happened mm-hmm. uh, you know and the, and the story behind that and you know he spoke about it i speak about it i was there you know i was a young adult i was i was already in my uh my early 20s uh when, when this happened hang on sorry uh <laughs> you know, technology comes and rings at the at the worst times. Uh, but but you, were, you were in your early twenties when he went so, to prison. Yeah, so so we were we were petitioning and registering voters on the lawn of the Los Angeles Federal Building in Westwood, uh, California, right off of Wilshire Boulevard in the four hundred five, mm-hmm. and uh, Ronald Reagan, and, and it really started when Ronald Reagan uh, was elected in in. Uh, 1980, and it was during the 1980 California Marijuana Initiative, which my father was the proponent of. And we were there uh, occupying the lawn at the federal building for about 80 days. And um, when Ronald Reagan was uh, elected president, uh, he was on his way from his home in Bel Air down Veteran Boulevard across uh, Wilshire Boulevard, uh, where the federal building was, on his way to his pre-inaugural haircut. And as he as he came up to the to the federal building, he saw all these petitioners uh, or, or or protesters on the lawn, and he saw all the signs that they were that they were holding up. And when he pulled up to the security at the federal building, he said, "You know, why are all of these Canadians so upset that they would be protesting at the federal building?" And uh, he was informed that they were not Canadians because he had mistaken uh, the 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 cannabis leaf for the maple leaf. 
and uh, and and he said, no, those those aren't Canadians. Uh, those are marijuana protesters. And he says, well, can't we do anything about it? And they said, no, we took them to court and they have the right to be here. And he was overheard to have said, uh, well, I, I'm going to be uh, sworn in in the next couple of weeks. Uh, let me see what I can do. And it was shortly after that that my father and a few of the uh, people that were still registering voters at the time, uh, you know, they were arrested for registering voters at dark on federal property. And uh, they were given a $5 fine, uh, which because they knew that the charges were really, you know, frivolous, but they really wanted to end the encampment on the on the lawn. And by arresting my father and a few of the other people, everything disbanded and, and, and the lawn was, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, evacuated. And uh, the police officer came up to my father, as my father explained it at the time. And he said, uh, you know, you're under arrest for violation of the Sedition Act. And my father, being an ex-military uh, police, uh, said, well, I understand what the Sedition Act is. Uh, how are we in violation of that? That only applies at times of war. And uh, the officer poked my father in the chest and said, we are at war with you. And uh, my father was arrested, uh, given a $5 fine along with the other co-conspirators. <laughs> and uh, and uh, off they went. Uh, everybody paid their $5 fine except my father who said, uh, you know, I'm an American. This is my right. And uh, I will not plead guilty uh, to sedition and, yeah. and pay a $5 fine just to go home. And he fought that all the way up through the court system, the federal court system in the state of California. And uh, finally, the, the Supreme Court uh, denied hearing the case. And my father was imprisoned uh, in San Pedro uh, Terminal Island uh, for uh, just a period of a couple of weeks. Uh, but it was during those few days that he, he, for the first time since he had discovered cannabis and was fighting for it, that this was like the first time that he had that he was by himself, that there wasn't any noise around him other than, you know, some of the inmates singing and playing harmonicas. Uh, and, and he was really like, you know, what do I do with my with my time, even as short as it was going to be? Yeah. And he asked us to send him uh, some 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 you know, some paper and some pencils. And so while he was sitting in his jail cell, he started outlining what would become the book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, which was then printed in, 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 in earnest and in, in, in uh, quite a significant content in 1985. And it was that book that actually uh, started to change uh, the narrative of cannabis gave people the ability to find their voice and stand up and, and demand the rights to this plant. And, and today uh, it is still talked about as one of those catalysts that is helping to end the war on drugs and the war on people. And, and the, today, you know, 35 years later, it is even more relevant today than it was in 1985. In 1985, it was a group of, of hippies reading this book and, and learning about it and standing up and, and finding their voice. Today, the information that exists in that book and the updates that it's gone through uh, over the past 35 years really speaks to all, all citizens of every country because all of these facts remain true. And that is, if you use cannabis to its full utility, the world can be changed and saved. Stay right there, Dan. Our guest, Dan here, son of the legendary hip activist, uh, Jack here. Um, sometimes it's better for the government to, to let dogs lie, and the government lost on that round. Uh, instead, imprisoning him on some uh, ho hocus-pocus charges, and they released a lion. Uh, as a result of their decision to uh, incarcerate him. And so I really think that that um, was blowback on, beha on behalf of the government because uh, they, re they really uh, stored up the hernet's nest and, and, uh, and Jack Harrow came into his own with that book and, and leading us in uh, to multi-generations uh, on the awareness of the power of, that, of this plant. Stay right there. We're going to take a quick 
commercial break. We'll be back. It's the Texas Hymn Show. This is podcast number 63 with our guest Dan here. We'll be back after this. The Texas Hemp Reporter is available free at all HEBs and Whole Foods in Austin, Texas. Pick up a copy today. Cannabis is slowly becoming legal in Texas. So be sure to listen to the Texas Hemp Show Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. on KLBJ 590 a.m. Or visit online at TexasHempReporter.com. Mail to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. 60,000 copies made available each year. Available at over 500 CBD and smoke shops in Texas. That's the Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine and the Texas Hemp Show Podcast. Download wherever podcasts are available or listen Sundays at 6 a.m. On News Radio 590 KLBJ. Hey, this is Chichi Marine, and you're listening to the Texas Hemp Show. Why take a chance with your hemp grow? Join Hemp Plan and avoid the risk. TPS Labs exclusive hemp monitoring program. Hemp Plan members get one-on-one consulting from knowledgeable consultants who are available when you need them most. If you want to take the guesswork out of growing hemp and focus on what matters most, call TPS Lab today and ask for your free consultation. Take the next step to a successful harvest. Visit tpslab.com or call today at 956-383-0739. Do you qualify for medical marijuana? Texas allows medical-grade products with THC. If you have a diagnosis of PTSD, neuropathy of any kind, including diabetic, any cancer or seizure disorder, Dr. A at Good Earth MMJ Clinic will help. You believe in cannabis' medical benefits, as do we. VA veterans with PTSD do not fear, as your benefits are protected with a Dr. A's prescription in Texas. Please visit GoodEarth210.com for all details and book an appointment. Next day appointments available. We're here to get you well, not high. That's GoodEarth210.com. You're listening to the Texas Hip Show, sponsored by The Loot. The Loot, helping vape and smoke shops deliver the most innovative products to customers. Constantly creating new products that people love. E-liquid, salts, CBD topicals, tincture flour, edibles, and Delta 8. Your customers will be shouting, give me The Loot. The Loot, creating high-margin products for vape and smoke shops. Contact us today at thelootjuice.com for all your vape, CBD, and Delta 8 needs. Mention Texas Hemp Reporter for 10% off. Give me The Loot. Hemp Sack Bags, preservation, protection, peace of mind. Hemp Sack Bags are designed for the curing, storing, and transporting of hemp and other agricultural products. Hemp Sack Bags are primarily for farmers, growers, and anyone else looking for the proper preservation and storage solution of their hemp or similar agricultural product. Visit the online store at hempsack.com or call 1-833-GOT-BAGS. Made in the USA and manufactured from FDA-approved food-grade materials, hemp sack bags do not leach into your flour. Harvest season is here. Texas Hemp Show listeners, use code THR2021 and get 10% off your whole order. That's hempsack.com. You're listening to the Texas Hemp Show, produced by your friends at the Texas Hemp Reporter. 60,000 copies published free every year. The Texas Hemp Reporter is mailed to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. The Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine. Hey, this is Tommy Chong, and you're listening to the Texas Hemp Show. Now, back to the show with your host, Russell Dowden. Welcome back to the Texas Hemp Show. It's Russell with the Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine, podcast number 63. Riding shotgun with me is Jesse Williams of the Texas Cannabis Collective. 
And our guest again this week is Dan Hare talking with us about the work of his father, Jack Hare. So very, uh, very exciting. Where we left off, Jack goes to prison and comes out with the <laughs> the notion to come up with this fantastic book. And that's when he really started to piss. He got pissed off and then he starts pissing everybody off, but he starts educating folks and starts pointing. I think, it, you know, one of the things that I remember about this book when I, I probably read this and parts of it, in junior high, if not like high school, I was probably in ninth grade or so when I remember uh, get, get, getting my hands on this. And and like you, my parents were hippies. They met in California in 67 in, in, in Los Angeles. And, and so I, I knew what marijuana smelled like as a young kid. And it didn't take me long before I was stealing or swiping it, Dan, from mom and dad. Uh, but uh, I was probably smoking around 12, 13 years old in junior high. But I really became aware of this book uh, around my sophomore year or freshman year in high school. And, uh, you know, he starts to expose the the Harry Anslinger days of the 30s. And I thought it was interesting how, you know, they demonized marijuana, not just through the jazz mu music, and the black community at that time. But, uh, you, you know, the book exposes how there's a, a connection to the plastics industry, right? And how this was uh, starting to affect. Uh, so there was a number of conspiracies kind of out there. And wouldn't the resurgence of hemp hurt the, the plastics industry in the 30s? And that, that was one of the things he points out as well. Right. And, and I'm not so much sure that it's conspiracy as it is um, – you know, if, if you're a conspiratorial yeah. thinker, uh, you know, I, I can understand it. Um, but, but the reality is, is any time that you can remove a threat to, to ongoing industrial businesses yeah. and you can eliminate that from being a threat to your future profits, um, whether it's whether it's conspiracy or whether it's intentional, uh, you know, because, you know, you, you have to you have to think about what was happening at that time. You're, you're talking about, you know, the the petrochemical industry really coming into its own, uh, the plastics industry, the nylon industry, the synthetic uh, materials industry, the paper industry, the pharmaceutical industry, all of these industries, all during the early 1900s and into the, the 1930s and 40s were all really patenting new technologies in the use of this really cheap thing called oil. And, and I don't think that these companies really understood uh, just the horrific effects that long-term use of, of these products and how they would affect the lives uh, of humanity, you know, a hundred years later. I think at the time they were really just looking at protecting profits and, 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 and uh, shareholders' interests in these companies, whether it was, you know, Standard Oil or whether it was Pfizer or whether it was the Hearst Paper Company uh, or, you know, whatever it was, every, every product that we were using at the time uh, was potentially going to be affected if you used hemp uh, for any of uh, their products. So if you were, if you were a, a paper manufacturer and our supplier like William Randolph Hearst was, and uh, a great percentage of, of your, the worth and value of your family and your name was in the paper industry, both through the sale of newspapers and the fact that he owned uh, one of the largest uh, privately owned uh, holdings in, in tree farming that was then turned into paper. And then you realize the relationship between uh, creating paper from trees through the sulfuric process, uh, 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 the, the sulfuric acid process. And that if you were, uh, if you were the sulfuric acid, uh, you know, maker and you were the paper company that these two things fit together. And if you were to use hemp instead, you wouldn't be using the sulfuric acid. You wouldn't be cutting down trees. So, you know, the, the, the threat to their, to their, their value and their worth as a corporation uh, were directly threatened uh, by the knowledge that one acre of hemp could produce as much paper making materials as up to four acres of trees. And uh, that was uh, that was a threat to these industries. And so 
if you're a paper company, you could you could really create and control the narrative by putting out information that led to you know reefer madness and all of the crazy statements and and proclamations of how dangerous cannabis was uh, to yeah. individuals and 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 then where you know who to blame it on and who to fear and uh, you know who to blame it on and who to fear was the Mexicans and the blacks and the yeah. jazz musicians and and actors and and anybody that that would you know dare to threaten uh the 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 livelihoods of the very very wealthy and connected well and more then, to your you point know, the the farmer would have been the one making money you know if they mass produced hemp you know it would have been the local the hard-working farmer the, the grower and not well, these not these industrial industrial well, i understand this the united states whether it is the government or whether it is the industries that exist within the United States, they do not ever, ever want to give up power to somebody who can put a seed in the ground and grow their wealth. They want to be able to control that wealth, control the commodities that that product creates. Let farmers be farmers. Let them dig and hoe the ditches. Let them deal with the manual labor, the people who run businesses. They're smarter than that, and they'll take it from here kind of attitude. And they never want somebody to be, who works in the dirt to have a voice at the table of those with clean nails and, and, and the ability uh, to, to manipulate markets. And, and, and that, that strategy is still true today, even in the cannabis industry and the hemp industry today. Uh, there are so many roadblocks and, 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 and detours that we're all taking within this space uh, that, that continue um, to, to affect how fast we're able to use this plant, uh, how we're able to utilize the, the products that can come from it. And, and all of these are still in place today because big business will not allow something that is so simple as to put a seed in the ground, put some water on it and grow wealth for your family and health for your community and a, and a product to put into the market. If it's not controlled by, I mean, if you, if you look at all products around the world, they're controlled by very, very few people, very, very few families and very, very few corporations control the majority of every product that you see in every store and every continent and every opportunity for commerce. And there's no way at this point for them to control the use of hemp and cannabis unless they slow it down to the point where the federal government will legalize it. Then they will step on, uh, step on in, uh, then create new legislation that prevents a farmer from really, you know, uh, being a part of, of, of this new commodity, this new commercial opportunity to create wealth uh, and, and, and a voice uh, because of the amount of, of, of value that this plant is worth. And these industries will come in once there is safe banking, industry will come in and, and really put their foot on the neck of everybody who's fought for their entire lives uh, for this plant. And so that, that same type of, of, of business uh, practice is still in place today. Mm -hmm. And, and, and wh whether you want to call it conspiracy, whether you want to call it, you know, just the way that business is done, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it is still a threat to the future of cannabis and the, and the people who, who believe and love and have fought for this plant. And my father's voice and his message and his legacy uh, still exists out there because of people like you, because of people who are, are really dedicating their lives to understanding what these opportunities are. And even in spite of federal uh, legislation or, or state regulation uh they they are putting their time and energy and love and dedication uh into the opportunities that this plant can bring it's the texas hemp show and uh, you're listening to podcast number 63 yeah our guest dan here a uh, son of the of the late great jack Hare. Uh, jesse's got one for you here uh, dan in, in regards <laughs> to what you mentioned about the uh, dupont with the chemicals and hearst with the, the paper the newspaper stuff the film hemp for victory really lent credibility when that got put in the library of congress correct oh uh, yeah the, the the hemp for victory i mean this is i mean this is one of those quintessential you know uh 
high, you know, uh, <laughs> hypocrisy of both the government and industry. Yeah. You know, 1942 comes, we decide that, you know, as a country, we're going to enter the war. But the, Japan has moved into the Philippines. And, you know, five years after the end of, of, uh, of legal cannabis grows or hemp growing in the United States, uh, we now need uh, materials for, you know, backpacks and, and, and webbing for, for parachutes and uh, belts to hold, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the, the gadgets of war, whether it's uh, holsters or, or ammunition or whatever. And, and there's this great need for this biomass to create these products. And if the Japanese are in the Philippines, which we were getting flax from, that were kind of substituting what hemp did prior um, when we got cut off from that in order for us to, to, to be involved as a nation, uh, in a meaningful way, we needed to figure out how we were going to make these products here in America so we could go to war overseas. And uh, the government then said, well, the one thing that we have and that we can we can look back to is we can go back to hemp. So they so they created, you know, they created an opening uh, for 4-H clubs and farmers uh, to once again grow hemp for their country to be patriotic hemp and for they victory. put they, and they put out a propaganda film it's 14 minutes long you can watch it on YouTube for free every single day uh, it's also been reinstated into the Library of Congress as you said but the the thing is is that they during this 14 minutes they actually talk about how important this plant has been for thousands and thousands and thousands of years to all mankind around the world and then you know they said you know without this you know they had they needed to make this this plant available in order to help win the war and hemp for victory in other words you know without cannabis world war ii would not have been a success for this country so they're basically saying you know uh you know hemp for victory hemp is going to save the world and it did in 1942 through 1945 and and the government you know went from growing nothing in hemp to hundreds of thousands of acres uh, across this country in order to produce the materials needed for our soldiers and our ships. And, and uh, after, after the war, uh, you know, they sort of started going back to the same old narrative. Hemp was once again made illegal because we didn't, we weren't at war and, you know, we, we really needed to, uh, you know, uh, it, it, they, they needed to erase the truth that they they had just spoken of and that is how important this plant was so erasing its history once again was primary so you know 30 years later uh in the 1970s and the 1980s when my my father came across a copy of this nobody had ever really heard of it you know it, it wasn't something that people spoke about because it had been erased from our history and he started putting out this film and producing it on back in the day on vhs tape and, and yeah. he would sell it as he was going around the country educating folks. And he would say, this is how hypocritical and how important this plant was uh, to our own military, to our own country, and to the world. And, and that you should really watch this video. And he was accused of bootlegging the video that he had made it, that the United States government would yeah. never have made such a film. No. And he was, he was called a fraud. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And 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 when he found when 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 he and his team found the the the, the film in the Library of Congress, it it ultimately vilifies Jack and uh and and these claims that were coming out of, of media against him, and uh, and really sets the record straight. Yeah, it, it what it, what it really did is is it it. It, it didn't vilify my father. What it did is it vindicated my father, yeah. uh, you know, from being this fraud to actually, you know, saying, hey, there's this there's really important information that is buried and hidden away from us. And that, you know, products like this, uh, this 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 propaganda film from 1942 uh, are, are, are real examples of how, uh, you know, those with the largest megaphone. Uh, have the ability to shape the narrative of yeah. what we hear, what we believe, and and how we act or react uh, every day. And by the release of this video and the power of the information in my father's book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, it was finally 
indisputable and that, that the information throughout history was that this plant not only helped to save this, this country in World War II and save the world from the Germans and the Japanese, but it was the most important plant for all nations around the world for thousands and thousands of years. And, and, it, and, and the book talks about, you know, how it was everything from, you know, when you talk about uh, canvas is a, is, is, a, is a Dutch pronunciation of cannabis. And so anytime that, you know, you were studying in school about canvas covered wagons coming West, those were cannabis covered wagons. Those were cannabis sales. When you talk about art that's in every museum around the world and hanging in many prestigious homes, uh, these, uh, these pieces of art that are worth millions and millions of dollars and that are hundreds of years old, uh, were all painted on hemp and if they weren't painted on hemp some were painted on on animal skin or some other type of but the majority of all of these products from our clothing to our oil to the paints that were used uh were, were all made from cannabis you know you could pay your taxes with cannabis uh you know you could build your homes with cannabis and feed your animals with cannabis throughout history and and all of that had been released, but all of it being exposed in my father's book, which which made it incredibly powerful and, and and a way to be indisputable when you came up against your adversary in a conversation and yeah. exposed this information where they could not stand in front of you and actually uh, continue to admit a lie. And many of these people. Um, once they were exposed to the truth, have either softened their their belief or actually come over and into the light. Yeah. And Dan, moving ahead, I mean, it, 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 a normal awards, uh, Jack, the Lifetime Achievement Award 92, I believe he got the Randall C., uh, Robert C. Cunningham. Award in, uh, when was in 94. He got another award uh, honoring him for his work in, 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 in civil civil rights work and, and for the plant. Um Growing up around this, Dan, uh, when did you realize that you were, you know, starting to carry the carry some of this torch of your father's work? Uh, honestly, <laughs> um, you know, the fact that my family and I had always always been around my father, that it never felt like we were carrying anything. We were just carrying on. You know, this was just part of who our family was and what mm -hmm. we did. You know, we taught down at Venice Beach uh, on a little pop-up booth there for nearly 20 years, uh, educating uh, the community and tourists alike. And mm -hmm. and we would, you know, we would sell hemp goods and hemp clothes and hemp seed and hemp books and and T-shirts and bumper stickers. And we, my father would take all of that money and and, and instead of buying a home or a car or anything like that, he took every single dime. And put it back into, you know, educating people and going around the country and spreading, you know, the word of cannabis through, you know, uh, his book at, you know, going around uh, touring on uh, uh, on the dead circuit uh, mm -hmm. with the Grateful Dead and yeah. and going to the rainbow festivals and going to hemp events and 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 protest events around the world and. Uh, and certainly around here, the United States, and he would go from state to state supporting uh, legalization efforts, which, you know, started here in California, moved into to uh, um, uh, Oregon in the 1980s. And then every every state that he could that he could go into, which included Colorado, included, you know, uh, Washington state, which included, uh, you know, states on the East Coast, even if they were, you know, uh, heavily conservative. Uh, he would go to these events and he would he would take his passion and he would he would inspire people to find their voice. And and so no, I never felt and we never felt that we were carrying on anything. This is just what we did as a family. And uh, as far as, you know, I, I, I didn't really um, I, I didn't really step into this uh, until after his passing. Mm hmm. And, you know? and it was, and, and, and it was like you said, it was just part of what the family did. Yeah. Well, stay right there. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break uh, with our guest Dan here. It's the Texas Hemp Show. You're listening to podcast number sixty-three. We'll be right back after this brief message. It's the Texas Hemp Show. 
Medical marijuana is legal in Texas. Do you suffer from cancer, PTSD, IBS, peripheral neuropathy, autism, epilepsy, seizure disorders, osteoarthritis, or fibromyalgia? Well, medical marijuana is now legal in Texas as of September of 2021. Visit TexasMedicalMarijuanaDoctors.com. Call 713-659-HEMP. That's 713-659-HEMP. And tell them you heard from the Texas Hemp Show. Visit our friends online at TexasMedicalMarijuanaDoctors.com. The Texas Hemp Reporter is available free at all HEBs and Whole Foods in Austin, Texas. Pick up a copy today. Cannabis is slowly becoming legal in Texas. So be sure to listen to the Texas Hemp Show Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. on KLBJ 590 a.m. Or visit online at TexasHempReporter.com. Mail to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. 60,000 copies made available each year. Available at over 500 CBD and smoke shops in Texas. That's the Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine and the Texas Hemp Show Podcast. Download wherever podcasts are available or listen Sundays at 6 a.m. on News Radio 590 KLBJ. Hey, this is Cheech Marine, and you're listening to the Texas Hemp Show. Why take a chance with your hemp grow? Join Hemp Plan and avoid the risk. TPS Labs' exclusive hemp monitoring program. Hemp Plan members get one-on-one consulting from knowledgeable consultants who are available when you need them most. If you want to take the guesswork out of growing hemp and focus on what matters most, call TPS Lab today and ask for your free consultation. Take the next step to a successful harvest. Visit tpslab.com or call today at 956-383-0739. Do you qualify for medical marijuana? Texas allows medical-grade products with THC. If you have a diagnosis of PTSD, neuropathy of any kind, including diabetic, any cancer or seizure disorder, Dr. A at Good Earth MMJ Clinic will help. You believe in cannabis' medical benefits, as do we. VA veterans with PTSD do not fear, as your benefits are protected with a Dr. A's prescription in Texas. Please visit GoodEarth210.com for all details and book an appointment. Next day appointments available. We're here to get you well, not high. That's GoodEarth210.com. All right, welcome back to the Texas Hemp Show. It is podcast number 63. Our guest, Dan Hare, talking with uh, with us about the the work of his father, Jack Hare, and um, and the work of the family that, that, that this family has done over the years. And uh, we'll talk about the foundation a little and, and, uh, and how things are going out there in California for you guys. Well, uh, the, the, the foundation, uh, I started that in 2015. Um, it took a while after my father's passing in order to kind of, you know, find my center, uh, with mm-hmm. regards to how, how do I be a part of the space? Uh, and how do I continue the work that I believed in as well as being able to represent my father and this family. And, uh, so the foundation was my, my first step into, uh, and, and, into, you know, recognizing the things that I had learned and the things that I still needed to share and that still needed to be shared. And, uh, I, I created this educational foundation only to find out that, you know, it's great to say it in, in, in name, but you still have to fund a foundation. And that became particularly difficult as, as hemp and cannabis was, uh, uh starting to expand, uh, many of the companies that were, uh, part of it uh, didn't really have the extra capital to, you know, to, to give away. And uh, so it's been, it's been a very, uh, it's been a very slow uh, process to build the foundation to uh, what, what I hope it will become. And uh, as, at the same time, I also realized that there was, the, there was one, a need to control the use of my father's name in this new mm-hmm. commerce. And uh, so then I started 
to to work on creating uh, products both in hemp and in cannabis yeah. and in clothing uh, that would uh, that would represent uh, what it is that that he learned that we believed and that uh, that we've taught over you know the last uh, forty years and you know it it's it's just become uh, something that uh, I, I've I've been working very hard uh, to to really uh, not keep the legacy alive because that's in, that's in fine shape. Uh, yeah. But, but to be able to, to be able to build something that takes care of this family um, because of what my father had did and all the energy that he put out into the world to be able to figure out how to, how to uh, re- really how to embrace what that energy is as it comes back and mm-hmm. how to, how do I use what, uh, what we have in, in order to, uh, to take care of us as a family, to reinvest in, uh, you know, continuing to produce and and publish the book, uh, my, you know, the Emperor wears no clothes, mm-hmm. and and how to use the foundation in a meaningful way in order to uh, go from state to state or country to country uh, over the past, uh, you know, seven years, and, and and expand on the knowledge that other people can have if they you know, look at this information that my father put out and, and other books and, and, and papers and reports uh, that have been, you know, made by other folks. Yeah. And so the, the foundation uh, is still an active uh, part of my life, uh, will be forever because cannabis uh, is education. Anytime that you come in contact with this plant, uh, it's a learning process, whether uh, it's a scholastic learning, uh, uh, you know, endeavor or whether it's a personal experience learning uh, situation. And so by being able to, to share the things that uh, one that I've seen uh, from a personal experiential standpoint uh, to those that I um, that I've witnessed and, and I and I see the trends that are happening, uh, both with the narrative around cannabis, which still is very cloudy uh, with regards to general population. Obviously, it's much more uh, you know, mm-hmm. dialed in within the people that that know and understand this plant. But you know, that's still just an incredibly small amount of people compared to the overall world. And you know, this education is the only way that we're going to be able to right the wrongs of of prohibition and and really give ourselves an opportunity uh, to do exactly what my father had stated, you know, forty years ago. And that is, you know, you know, hemp can save the world. It's the only yeah. thing that can. And and so between that and 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 working on uh, on building uh, the actual Jack Herrer brand, either yeah. in hemp or in cannabis, is is uh, it's paramount because it gives me the opportunity to teach at the same time that it produces a product that actually connects to people because they've heard the name for so many years That's right. that it's been, a, it's been a part of, of their whole understanding of cannabis. You know, many people like yourself, you know, they, they started reading the book in their teens mm-hmm. and wrote theses on it and book mm-hmm. reports and mm-hmm. pissed off a lot of teachers uh, because, <laughs> because <laughs> there was, you know, there was so much going on. Uh, with this book that you could write about Napoleon or you could write about Thomas Jefferson smuggling cannabis in the United States in order to help create our independence. You know, there's so many different aspects of what can be written about uh, that cannot be disputed by a teacher or a government at this point. And, and so, uh, you know, whether, whether we're producing a, a cannabis product or a hemp product, everything that we produce today Excuse me, I'm sitting outside and being attacked by mosquitoes. Uh, but you know everything that everything that we produce today, all of our packaging has educational elements in it um, that go back to as far as eight or ten thousand years. Yeah. Uh, you know, showing that the Egyptians used the cannabis symbols. Uh, you know, the, they they would they would depict the cannabis symbol coming above the head of the Egyptian god Shishat. 
and uh, she was the goddess of she was the goddess of mathematics and creativity and free thinking and act and and uh, accounting. And every time that they show her uh, carved into the hieroglyphics of the pyramids, uh, this symbol would appear above her head. And so we incorporate that into our packaging. We, we incorporate. Cool. Uh, the the map of the world and how cannabis moved from country to country over eight thousand years and you know we we try to without beating people over the head with our product and trying to educate them at the same time we create interesting uh, properties about our product uh, that hopefully will inspire people to think and look uh, for for what their meanings are and if we're able to do that then maybe we can engage somebody's mind uh to think about something more than just cbd or thc or or whatever the new genetic is for that month and that we could you know continue to expand on people's knowledge and understanding of this plant as the one of the most important plants on this planet that is here to serve us what can you speak to tell uh, lawmakers in texas about this plant and and, and you know we have a a very small cannabis program for for medicinal here in texas but yeah but we are with the farm bill we're we're, we're growing hemp and and having flour um what advice would you have for um lawmakers in texas uh, you know dan to 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 have them be open to more flexibility and less uh, restrictions uh, with with cannabis uh, here well, in, the, in the lone star state uh, i i i i know that most of my answers become very long but i'll try to simplify it you know when when you when when you're brought up with an understanding of a plant that in your and their eyes currently for the most part is been so demonized um you have to go back and look at why was it demonized was it really that it was dangerous or whether it was disruptive and if if you can if you can look at the history of cannabis and realize that the disruption uh and how powerful this plant is from an industrial standpoint and realize where you're at, especially in Texas, where you have all of these oil wheels and oil, oil platforms and oil derricks and oil drilling uh, and realize that the, you know, and this is not a threat to that industry uh, as much as it is, uh, you know, it's, it's not that we'll, that we'll never need oil. I would like to say that we don't. Um, but the, the fact is, is that um, that cannabis serves, uh, as an opportunity to use a different product that actually will help save the world. And all of these same technologies that are used in the oil industry can mm -hmm. be applied to the, to the distillation uh, manufacturing of, of value-added products that come directly from this cannabis plant. And, and, and all it is is a little bit of retooling. And the same industries that exist today can still exist. Uh, you know, with cannabis uh, being legal, and it doesn't have to be a threat to to jobs or or, or to profits. Uh, from the other side of it is is that if you keep moving forward and utilizing the fear and falsehoods of prohibition and apply those to the new access that is going to be created in Texas, and it is coming to Texas. But if, if instead of instead of building an industry on lies and falsehoods why not really understand the truth of cannabis and utilize it to its full utility right. and make it incredibly powerful uh, for, for, for communities. And if, and if Texas is going to grow hemp, why not start using it for its industrial purposes to make hemp homes and hemp byproducts and hemp insulation and hemp paints and varnishes and glues and sealants and yeah. hemp clothing and, and, and hemp concretes, you know, why not use these products to enhance the lives of all Texans. Why yeah. not utilize these things to feed the, the livestock within the Texas farmlands? Why not use the technology to create the biggest and the best products ever? Texas is known for the biggest and best of everything. Yeah. Everything's bigger in Texas. Then use this plant and make the biggest impact by, by allowing it to be a part of your your community and to be a part of your future because Amen. oil, uh, you know, oil will have a finite time on this planet, but yeah. hemp technically can be forever if we don't destroy the planet for which it grows on. 
So um, as we close, I want to ask you a question about how do you think your father would feel about how far we've come in just the last two decades regarding hemp moving forward in this country? Uh, I, uh, that's a double-edged sword. I, I think, you know, uh, when, when, you, when you look at the people uh, that have dedicated their life and time and resources to producing products that have created meaningful, meaningful change in people's lives, I think he would be extraordinarily humbled. Uh, you know, and my father wasn't always a humble man. You know, uh, <laughs> my father had a bit of an ego, but what he, but what he also had was an incredible heart, and that's why he was able to to work for so many years without necessarily paying himself. You know, he could live, he could exist, but he took all of that money and put it back into educating people to make everybody's life you know, better to make everybody's life and their future possible. And to, to, you know, you know, the, the dream was to, to get all of these prisoners who had been wrongfully incarcerated because of the love or the use of this plant um, to get those people out of prison and to give them back their lives that had been unjustly taken from them. Uh, these are things uh, that, that would weigh heavy on his heart still. These are things that he would still be standing out and at the top of his lungs, the warrior that he was, and he would never stop until every one of these people was out of jail. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, on one side, he would be incredibly upset and pissed off that we're being taxed and regulated out of being able to participate in the changing of the world. And on the other side, he would be so humbled that so many people are lifting their families up and lifting their communities up and helping people to feel better about their daily existence on this planet, either you know through hemp or through cannabis or a mixture of both. And and really, uh, you know, uh, it, it you know like when I go to places like uh, MJ Biscon and I see right. tens of thousands of people, who, you know, who are there and they're and they are commoditizing everything from the machinery that processes it to the packaging that is used to sell it. Um, but you, but what you're really talking about is the creations of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of jobs across this country that our people are earning money and paying their taxes and and. And, and taking care of their families and donating to their churches and synagogues and, and changing how we live. If you look at Mercedes and BMW, both of these car companies are producing products today. Right, right now, today, cars that are being driven on the road with the door panels and dashes and different car components that are made by composite cannabis. But none of them are talking about it. And, and, and we know that the future of many of these products is embracing the, the use of hemp in this country, making them part of the automobile industry, making a better, safer, non-toxic product. And, and, and so there's great opportunity for all of this. And I think he would be, uh, I, I, you know, the older I get, the more I understand that when I used to stand and watch TV with my father, that he would cry at commercials that talked about <laughs> love and family, and, you know, right. and, and I'm really not joking. It's like, you know, he, he as, as angry as he had been over prohibition, the softer, the, the things that meant something in our lives, the love of our family, the love of our friends, the love of our communities, yeah. all of these things meant something to him. And it brought my father to tears when he was quiet and alone or, or sitting down with us as a family. And, and, Dan, and, and fire off the website as, we, as we're coming up to the, the last <laughs> break, but fire off the website, Dan. Tell folks how they can get the brand, get the products, and support you, you, your family and the organization. Well, one, there's, there's the jackherrerfoundation.org. Um, and the other is Jack Herrer Brands. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, nothing is for sale on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, be perfectly clear. But what it does is it shows the products that are available in the legal cannabis and hemp markets. Um, the, the other side of this is, uh, you know, if, if you're really uh, – interested in in cannabis its future and its history please go to amazon uh go to the 14th edition of the emperor wears no clothes it's available in both digital format for 9.99 uh, which is also interactive, which means it'll take you to many of the videos that we talked about today. Uh, and, and it also is available for a print-to-order book for $34, and you're able to sit back and flip the pages and see the pictures of history and, and really understand 
how powerful this plant has been and how meaningful it has been to every nation around this planet and that the story that this book tells. So look for Amazon, the, the electronic version of the Emperor Wears No Clothes. It's the 14th edition. Uh, and, and we've made it as easy to get to as possible. It will help you find your voice. It will help you help change the world and, and, and the environments in which we all live. And God bless you all for the time that you've given me today. Hey, thank you, brother. We appreciate you. We salute you, thank you. and uh, and the good work you, your family has done for this plant over the years. And anytime you are in Texas, buddy, you call me and get uh, get on the phone with me. I'd love to see you and, and hang out with you if you make your way back down here to the Lone Star State. Uh, well, thank you very much. And, and if you'll allow me to say one more thing. You bet. The legacy of my father is not this family. It's not even his brand, the brand that I'm managing. The legacy of my father is everybody who loves and believes in this plant and is putting their time into building businesses, to building processes, to making products, to changing the world with the use of this plant to creating new technologies and new opportunities uh, for, for commerce and education. The, the, the real legacy of my father is every single human that looks to embrace this plant and use it for the betterment of mankind. So God bless you all for your belief in this plant. Hey, thank you, bro. I appreciate it. Our guest, Dan Hare and the, and the brand there. Check them out on the website there. The original Jack Hare. There's only one, the original Jack Hare. Thank you so much, Dan, for being part of the Texas Hip Show. We'll see you next time, guys. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, guys. All right, there he goes. All right, that wraps up and concludes podcast number 63. Stay tuned next week on the Texas Hip Show We'll have more details and uh, open mystery guests next week on Podcast 64. It'll be a mystery, and uh, we don't even know who's on. So how about that? It's the Texas Hemp Show. We'll see you guys next week on the Texas Hemp Show. Thanks again. Adios.